Well, I hope you guys are, are ready to, to think your way through this a little bit. I know we've been on this for a while, but I want to dig in on, on the concept of image bearing. And uh, so basically, what are we bearing? You know, what is image bearing is what we're going to talk about. So I came up with a different scripture here, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and then down in 4.6. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So transformation is also a thing about progress. Transformed the same image from glory to glory, justice from the Lord the Spirit. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that is a relatively complex verse, the concept behind it. And so when I, when I read that, I get a, a real strong sense of what it is, that there's something about the Lord being revealed in us, that it's God himself who linked all the way back to the beginning. Uh, the one, it, it, there's a section in here, you know, let light shine out of darkness, the original created destiny, original created purpose of God. It's linked to big things. It's linked to all that kind of stuff. But there's a complexity here and a nuanced nature of that that I think we do an injustice to if we try to oversimplify and say, oh, yeah, I get what that means. You know, uh, there's a work going on. It's a very it's, it's kind of a deep work. So today we're going to try to dig in a little bit on this idea of image bear. And for uh, those that have uh, not been with us either on Zoom or here, the idea, I've got one review slide. You'll be proud of me, Richard. This is it. <laughs> and I didn't even, like, I didn't even spread it all. Yeah, okay, it's a lot of words, but I'm not too worried about the first one. Uh, we've been studying about what God's plan was and, and how that plan was executed, how we can think about it. So the, the little categories on the top there where it's purple uh, is, is sort of the outline part. And Jesus, the Messiah, Father, forgave sins. And, and the reason that we say in Jesus Messiah is because if we don't think about him as, as being the Messiah. We lose touch with the fact that this plan that Jesus was the culmination of was a plan that was spoken about through the ages all the way from Adam and Eve forward through Abraham, through Moses, through David, all these promises. But when we realize that God was faithful and sticking to his promises in the covenant, we find Jesus being the centerpiece not only of what we look at looking backwards, but what God looked at looking forwards as well, if that's an appropriate thing to say about God. Um, the second is that one of the big dramatic changes in life that happened at the cross in Jesus is that for whatever reason, because of sin, the fall, and who knows any myriad of other things uh, relative to disobedience, sin, isolation, whatever, it seems that the world and the scripture says this, lay under the power of spiritual forces, um, that the prince, the power of the air, that there was a thing called the domain of darkness. But then the scripture also begins to indicate in various ways that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the son of his love. Uh, that, uh, you know, Isaiah says there's darkness in the land and deep darkness on the people in Isaiah chapter 60. But the Lord's going to rise on you. There's a place where, uh, in real poetic language, it seems like Jesus is being spoken of as the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. 
So there's this transfer from darkness to light. And we know that darkness wasn't the original state. The original state was let there be light. And then darkness was in its proper place in relationship to that. But sin interjected kind of a domain of darkness back in here. And I think it was taken advantage of by spiritual things, demons, principalities, fallen angels, a bunch of things we don't even know what they are, maybe. Uh, but the suggestion is that at the cross, Jesus broke the authority of that demonic power. And so you can kind of, if you take a general look at the nature of spirituality before the cross and the nature of, of spirituality after the cross, I think you can see uh, an artifact or you can see a consequence of the breaking of that spiritual power. There wasn't much of anything like mission work prior to the cross. The Jews were unsuccessful at reaching out with the knowledge of Yahweh, and there's not tons of historical record of there being spiritual proselytization or evangelization or whatever that would have been at, at that time. But after the cross, you, there's all kinds of stories about people or couples or small groups of people that go in carrying this message. And so you could say, well, it's because we didn't have the message, and that's partly true. But the Scripture plainly says that Jesus uh, stripped these principalities and powers of their authority and put them on public display. And so uh, one of the guys is kind of responsible for breaking history up like this and redemption up like this is, is uh, N.T. Wright, uh, Bishop, former Bishop of Durham and just a, an amazing uh, New Testament scholar, thinker, Bible scholar. Anyway, he said, and the way he puts it in kind of familiar terms, is on Friday afternoon at about 6.30, everything changed because the authority and the power of the spiritual oppression in the earth was broken. And the door now is open for new creation. The door is open. And the consequence of that is really what we're going to concentrate on today. It's this last one about new creation, the kingdom has come and is growing and so on. And we can see that starting right there in Jerusalem, spreading uh, up to Antioch, spreading down in, in some of the areas eventually. I mean, when you think about this, it was only about, however you think this is good or bad or indifferent, that, that Rome sort of was overcome by Christianity because it certainly brought in some you know, negative things as well. But uh, we're talking a, a, an extremely powerful sort of global civilization that in a little less than 300 years was basically a confessing Christian empire. That's pretty amazing. And that's like four or five generations of people. And uh, well, maybe a little more back then, they didn't live too long. <laughs> or everything. Anyhow, secondly, and this is the part we're going to concentrate on today, believers like you and I are free uh, and awakening to being and serving as image bearers. And so that we're going to talk about what is image bearing tonight. So I want to go back and trace just a few scriptural examples. I really only got four. And then I want us to talk about this and pray about it and, and uh, show far about it and see whatever else we have to do. All right, so let's go all the way back to where the, the phrase kind of comes from. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful 
and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every other living thing that moves on the earth. So the first point I want you to see out of that is this idea, first of all, us being uh, made in the image of God is whose idea? N.T. writes, no, it's God's idea. He's the one that suggested it authoritatively, creatively. God said, you know, here's what we're going to do. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Now, rulership, you can see in there, because and we want, I want to connect this, and I've not heard a lot of people connect it this way, but let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the sky, and the cattle, and all the earth, and so on. And then it comes down here, and it says, it expands a little bit, it says God created man in his own image. So based on his declaration and based on his intention, he in fact did that. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky. So if this were the only scripture we had, we could derive some concept about what being an image bearer is. An image bearer is designed to rule over other aspects of creation. We could also dedu deduce from this that male and female share in this rulership, right? Because there's not a distinction between the two of them there and when he actually made it. And uh, But there's another scripture over in Genesis 2 that I want to read. This is a little bit of that version. Now, Genesis uh, 2 and 3 are, are you know, the, the follow-up to, to that creation, the don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil. That's where it gets most of the stuff, but it said uh, in verse 18 of chapter 2, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird in the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast in the field. And then, of course, it says, But for Adam there was not found. So it gets into the detail about the story of uh, the creation of Eve. But what I want you to see there is that this rulership is not just a, a dominion in the sense that you can fish if you want, you can kill things if you want, you can bulldoze down the trees if you want. There was a, there was a transfer of creative authority in the rulership. And Adam said, well, this is going to be a platypus. And God said, are you sure? <laughs> No, I don't know. He didn't say that because, you know, he simplified it as he went on. This is a dog, you know. Um, but uh, I was just trying to make a joke. Whatever Adam called is what the thing was. So, so who invented dogs? No, he didn't. God created dogs. Who, in, who invented a dog? Adam did. He named it. He, 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 he discerned its identity distinct from the other things that God made. I don't know. I don't know. That's something to think about. That's something to think about. Now, you could disagree with me if you wish, Ronnie, but uh, I'm the choice of my words. But what I want you to see that we learned from that one I just read is that this rulership literally carried with it uh, a, a form of originating, now not originating from nothing, God made them, but naming, giving them, you know, like you said, is it, is it possible that part of the personality, 
came from that. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, you see what Adam got and what he got to do with it and that relationship was serious. Um, we were talking earlier about there are works that we have to do, mm-hmm. but then God leads us. We don't get mm-hmm. to just sit on the couch and wait for the money to roll in, but he will bless our works. But it seems similar. God is the one who provided, created the animal, but then God is purposing or giving man the purposing to say something about it, essentially to implement Mm -hmm. that animal in some fashion and bring it into relationship. At the very least, Adam participated in creating the distinction between this and that and creating the way to interface with that. Right. Because after they were named, it said that, you know, uh, all the animals were looked at and none of them uh, were able to be a suitable helpmate. Yes, Ronnie. So in the Old Testament, it seems that naming, like naming your kids, your children. It's maybe more important than we think. a big deal. Yeah. Like you'll be mm-hmm. Jacob. Jacob. Because you struggle. You, or <laughs> Israel, because you wrestle with yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. the meaning of the name seemed to be much more important. And I, okay, so no, I'm so not trying to make means, this a huge freestanding doctrine, but I, I think you're absolutely right, Ronnie. Let's take it to mean what it is. We're trying to understand what it means to be an image bearer. Um, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture uh, related to the, uh, out of the ground, the Lord formed the, every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam. And I circled these two words, to see what he would call them. Yeah. So in a love relationship, there's, and this violates a lot of theology, there's room for God to marvel and have a mystery. He wanted to see what Adam would call them. That breaks the rules of what God's all knowing. So Adam, he already knew, Mm -hmm. but he wanted to see it. This is the advantage. Thank you. That's a really good point. This is the advantage to letting the scripture just say what it says and not necessarily importing it into our full-on developed theology. Uh, was there some action? Was there, So what, what, what... How do I want to put this? We're trying to understand what it means to be an image bearer. And we're trying to understand partly what it means to be an image bearer from our side, but also from God's side. In other words, what did God invest as part of his image and likeness. Was it the creative? Was he able to suspend his knowledge as he was looking at this species versus that species and make room so that he could see what Adam would say? I think it's a brilliant point. Yes, I think so. In other words, there's more given here than just a perfunctory task. It's a sharing of and the rulership or the dominion or the subduing. Man played a role, got a role in that. And they got a role in that because, I think, it's safe for us to think, because we were made in the image and likeness of God. Yes, Ronnie? You're going to have to sit closer if you have this many questions. Um, I guess I really never noticed it before till tonight, but the last sentence, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So yeah. the moves seems important. So it's like if a rock doesn't move or maybe he's going down to the atomic level where it's I, moving. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But, but you're, we, we are ruling over those things that move. They move. Yeah. Whatever that means. Yeah. Like the, like the clouds in the sky. 
The rain that sweeps across the land? I don't know. Okay, anyway, we're just exploring, right? We're exploring what it means to be an image bearer. We're sort of starting from scratch, if scratch is what the Bible says. Okay. So one thing I think we can think about is we can think about uh, us being an image bearer, and, and you guys are okay with, with that applying to us, aren't you? That we're made in the image of God as well, even though it was originally talked about and it manifests in just these two. Okay. Uh, as representative through whom both authority, rule, and order is manifested. And I put order in there for the naming. Authority, rule, and order. Okay? All right. So, now how do we think about it? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones that curse you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All right, so I'm looking for that other thing. Now, let's go up to Romans. I'll read a couple of verses out of Romans, where Paul is reflecting on... All right, so then Romans 4.1 says this, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. So then it goes on and talks about Abraham not being justified by works of faith. And down in verse 9, it reads like this. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. The righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who are not of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Okay, I'll come back to that and explain why I wanted to include this in our thoughts. Verse 16 reads like this. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. All right, now, I'm not going to pretend to try to do the whole circumcision, uncircumcision, faith works thing. That's not what my point is. My point is, trying to answer the question, how can we think about being an image bearer? So we just looked at Adam, and we saw that there was a commission to rulership over uh, previously created elements of creation, things that move. Now we're looking at Abraham, who is carrying something forward to people who would have something that God gave him. Faith. He's called our forefather in the flesh. That's a big deal. And then he's also called the father of the faithful. He's called the ones that have the faith of Abraham. That means you, me, there's something. And if we read more in the New Testament, you realize that Abraham was singled out 
uh, from a covenantal standpoint to initiate this whole faith-related thing, and he's called the father of the faithful and a bunch of other stuff. Abraham is also called a friend. Remember that? God said, how can we do this thing with Sodom and Gomorrah without telling our friend? All right. What does it mean to be an image bearer? Well, in one sense, it means to rule. It means to have a kind of dominion, to exercise that dominion, and to have some form of shared creativity with God in the, in the coming of that, cre- that creative dominion stuff to full fruit, naming of the animals and so on. It's also being an image bearer. Do you think it could be also carry the, the capability of being a friend through whom God's heart of blessing is manifest to the world around us. This introduces a thought to me that I want to share with you because I think it's, a, it's one of those, uh, what did we call it, Richard, last time? Image barricades or image uh, something, barriers? Yeah, barrier, image barriers. Freudian slip that Richard made last uh, Friday. Uh, I would say that for most of my life and that the natural tendency of my life is to, when I think of something really wonderful, supernatural, spiritual, big blessing, and so let's just say blessing. When I think of that uh, coming to earth, coming to a person's situation, coming to you, Greg, for the uh, insurance and for the kid, you know, the, the school and everything, I know that I have a tendency because of the influence on dualistic thought over me my whole life to think that blessings come down from God. And there's a scripture that says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. So I understand it. And I'm not saying that there's nothing like that. I'm not saying that there isn't a capacity in God that is interventionary. But that is not most of the time. That's not most of the time. Most of the time, it is insertion through people. Faith came from God, just like the animals did, right? Every man's given a measure of faith, uh, you know, faith, you know, poured out in our hearts, okay? But faith came from God, but it came through Abraham to the nations, through Abraham in an unlikely way. Now, all I'm saying, again, I'm trying to limit my thoughts, and I would encourage you to limit yours a little bit, to answering the question, what does it mean to be an image bearer? Because it's so easy to get lost in the philosophy, oh, that means I'm uh, uh, body, soul, and spirit, and three parts, and I reflect the training, and I'm, you know, okay, maybe. I'm not saying none of that's true. What I'm saying is that knowledge, as I've heard it bandied about my entire life, has never led to what I think the purpose of us being restored as image bearers is supposed to be. It's just been an explanation. It hasn't been a transforming bit of knowledge. So I think that we share in, in dominion, we share in rulership, we share as a steward of creation, and we have input into the details of that creation. Who here has named something, and that's what it was? Children? 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 Yeah. Anybody invent anything or, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, there's people, maybe not in this room, but, you know, there's stuff. Yeah. Ah, there you go. These are creative things. So that's that. Now, who here has been a blessing from God to somebody else? I think that's the main way they come. Come on, Greg. I think that's the main way it comes. There's something about this that's being revealed. God shares. I think we get back to perichoresis and the, the, the fundamental nature of God. That's why things like love, which is based upon sharing in a sense, based upon interaction, is, is intrinsic to who being made in the image of God is. Because that's who God is. Yes? Um, I try not to isogeet too much because I became a dad, but I get constant lessons about God now that I became a dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why he loves being called Abba so much, it's like, wow, didn't know that. Um, but Abby, names, when she names something, that really is its name. We, would, we like to go to Wendy's and get the value chickens, uh, nuggets, and french fries, mm-hmm. potatoes. She doesn't call it that. Since she was two, and to this day, she couldn't say that word. So it's chickens and papatos. And we still say it to this day. We want to go get some chickens and papatos. Yeah. It has com- become, and th- I, I realized, I realized, well, that's, is that what you were doing with Adam to see what he would name them? Yeah. Because that's, that's what it is now. And I, exploring it a little deeper in kind of related to what you're saying, the reason we still call it, she talks correctly now. The reason we still call it that is because we share an experience together. Right. We shared some really... How many of you that are old enough to be grandparents were named by your grandchild? <laughs> What's yours? I, 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 uh, grandpa. Yeah, what, Riley? Larry. Larry, there we go. <laughs> yeah, my name actually was Horace before Riley was born. <laughs> yes. So... Remember a couple of years back we did the Teresa Deadman from, hmm? um, you know, her creative thing. And, yeah. and you say, you know, we're image yeah, bearers. Closer to the mic, so we're yeah. image bearers. And God is the creator of the universe. And he created us in our his image. And we creative. Mm-hmm. So that's one image. One, one of the image-bearing things, I think so. We repeat. Yeah. yeah and, 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 and we don't think about it, but we actually have the authority to do that. And then this blessing thing. So again, the little red thing on the bottom. Uh, how can we think about being image bearing? About image bearing? Well, I think, and I'm going to suggest that we just try thinking about it as being a friend through whom God's heart is manifest to other people. That's not hard to imagine. I have two cents. So it seems significant that God created us to look like him, you know, humans and not animals. Yes. <laughs> or not some weird alien, right. you know. The big confirmation of that was that Jesus pretty much looked like people when he exactly. was incarnate. <laughs> he did borrow a little bit from yeah. our side of the fence. But That's all I had to say. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. There's a scripture that um, says that if we forgive we will show that we are like sons of God. Yeah, be like sons of God, yeah. So that's a, another barrier. There, there you go, absolutely. That's an, another, sorry, this is kind of where we're going. All right, so now, in Exodus, this is kind of exciting to me. Uh, 
And that's a really weird way to put a scripture up there. And obviously I can't get all those on the board, so I'm going to have to read the other ones. But then the Lord said to Moses, this is the story uh, at the Red Sea. Why are you crying out to me? Well, that would, if God had paused, Moses would have had an answer. Well, there's a whole army of Egyptians coming up that are going to kill us. And I got all these people that are backed up in there that think I'm, you know, it's a, there was a lot of reasons. But anyway, God didn't pause. He did this. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through in the midst of the sea on dry land. I'm so glad that God said that because I'm sure Moses instantly understood what was going to happen. (laughs) And then I saw today for the first time ever reading the scripture, a legitimate comeback that I probably would have, or an illegitimate comeback that I probably would have had. Lord, do you want me to extend the staff or hold up the staff and stick out my hand? (laughs) And I don't know. Probably stick the staff out like Cecil B. DeMille depicted it. But why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Why didn't God tell them to go forward? As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. All right, so let me ask you a question. Who divided the Red Sea? Who? Moses did. That's what it says. Now we know that God did too, right? You see, do you see a pattern coming here? Adam participated in creating the entire zoological structure that has existed to today by naming. Who gave him the authority to name? God did. When did he give him? Does it say, Adam, I'm bringing all these things, name them? No. I think he gave it to them when he made him in his image and when he presented this opportunity. Abraham, Abraham struggled, we know the story, to properly manifest that faith. But the truth of the matter is, he did. The truth of the matter is, he did. And there was all kinds of help going along the way. So who put faith in this world? Well, God did, for sure. God's given every man a measure of faith, but who defined what faith was? Who worked out what faith was in our lives? It was Abraham. It was one made in the image of God. All right. Now, lest you think that it's just Moses. I marked some things. This is 719. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron. Let me repeat that. Then the Lord said to Moses, quote, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their streams, over their pools, and over all their reservoirs of water 
that they may become blood, and there will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. I guarantee you guys, I never saw this until I looked at it for this preparation. Because who was the one who exercised the plagues on Egypt? God did, of course. Everybody knows that. He did it through Moses, through Aaron. It's not the only time. Down in verse 8-5, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. I don't know how to explain this, guys. I really don't. I don't know if I'm making too big a deal out of this story or not. I don't know. Do I want to take anything away from God and him uh, being the author of the plagues? No, not really. But I will read one more. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there was gnats and man and beast. And all the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. And this just makes me think of a New Testament parallel. The disciples come up to Jesus, and he goes, the people have been here for a long time, and there's no, it's, it's a day's journey for them to go get food, and we don't have enough. He said, well, you feed them. You feed them. And then Jesus took the bread and broke it, and he gave it to them. Did he break it up into uh, big enough pieces that every one of them had one to feed groups of 10 or 50? No. He broke it. He gave it to them, and it broke in their hands. God is a God of sharing, a God of participation, and it comes from us being made in his image, I think. So I've always had the kind of definition of faith is agreeing with what God has said. But what if we, based on these verses, could extend that to saying, it's agreeing with what God has said about me. And that's what they're exercising yeah. in here, is to stand in what God has said and agree, about them. Uh, agreeing enough to do it. to Yeah, to then act upon to what act God upon has it. said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because... That was the original conversation that got Aaron and yeah. involved a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, because God wanted Moses to do this stuff, and he kind of wimped and said, oh, but, I, but, yeah. but, but here's the point. I mean, I'm not trying to pick on Moses yeah. or Aaron, and neither are you. What I'm trying to say is, what if this idea of image bearing isn't best addressed as some sort of psychological, physiological resemblance? What if it is addressed by looking deeply into the heart of God and saying, you made me in many ways like you so that I could do you. I could do you. The image, uh, oh, five one. Yeah. Oh, imitate guys. Yeah, there you go. I was looking for that verse and I didn't know. No, I was looking for that. I think this is a big deal, obviously. Uh, so can we think about image bearing as being a representative through whom power and works of power 
are manifest. Yes, yes. Now, this is not an original thought to us tonight. This is not an original thought. I mean, we've had priesthood of the believers. We've had uh, power evangelism. Uh, but yeah. But look, there's some other verses here. Let me read a couple that bring us into the New Testament. Acts, where are you at? Okay, so Acts 1, 3 through 5, and 7 and 8. To these, his disciples, right? He also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is now the time to, uh, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times of the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall receive, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then if you go back to the, the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go and make disciples. But he didn't say it as an independent thing. I mentioned this before. Uh, he said, Lo, I'll be with you always. That was an intrinsic part of this. When you read the fulfillment of this in Acts, then they went out and there's a, a verse in there that said, uh, Jesus did many mighty miracles through the hands of the apostles. We do not acknowledge our union with God sufficiently. And if we don't, we won't understand what it means to be an image bearer. And our union with God is not some late uh, medieval and early 21st century religious variant. <laughs> it feels like it sometimes, you know, because you, you hook up with somebody like Baxter Kruger and he talks a lot about union or you listen to Nancy talk about oneness and, and it's like, okay, it's just it's a little doctrinal thing here. But the truth is, I think this was the whole thing. I think this oneness was manifest when God presented the animals and Adam named them. I don't think God stood way off up in heaven and somehow coerced the animals to go. There's an interactive thing going on here. God said, why are you yelling at me, Moses? You stick out your, you tell the people to go. You're the guy that's delivering them. I heard their cry. You're the one delivering them. Oh, we all know God's doing that. But what if we get where we live that way and we don't have to keep trying to fuss over that distinction with false humility? What if being an image bearer means that when you see me, you've seen the Father? Oh, now that's what Jesus said. What if being an image bearer is not doing anything unless you hear the Father saying it or see him doing it? Oh yeah, that's what Jesus said too. What if Jesus said something outrageous like, as the Father sent me, so send I you. You forgive the sins of any. They'll be forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they'll be retained. I was thinking a little bit more about it. I don't think Jesus was explaining. I do think he was declaring. I think it's the truth. But I was reading some church history uh, for something else that I was doing this week. And there was a... Uh, little section about the Emperor Justantine. And Justantine was around 400 and something. Uh, and he was one of the most aggressive Roman 
Christian emperors uh, as far as mandating theology. And he did so um, by killing people that disagreed. And I wonder if there was any of that retaining thing going on in, in that corruption that eventually settled in on the church over sins. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that what if this is what it's like to be an image bearer? How about this one? This is the Apostle Paul. And the reason I decided to close on this is because how many of you naturally feel comfortable with equating yourself and your spiritual life and your spiritual condition and call with Paul? Not too many. Lisa, good girl. (laughs) I don't. I mean, I think Paul's a special case, right? Called independent of God by apostle, blah, 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 blah. All right, but what if, what if Paul is just a big-time manifestation of being made in the image of God and and singled out? I'm not saying that there's not something special about Paul's apostolic call, but I want you to look at what he said, and it ties in what we've talked about the last few days, or a few weeks. This is the story of Paul standing before Agrippa, testifying about what happened on the road to Damascus. If you look at this in a red-letter Bible, uh, when it says, I heard the voice saying to me in a Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, it's all red letter after that. So he's quoting Jesus. He's quoting what he heard when everybody else heard thunder. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That is outrageous. That is Paul's commission. That is outrageous. Just reflecting a little earlier, uh, the one I read in Acts 7 and 8. It's not for you to know the times or the epochs with the Father is fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. If we think about what the centerpiece of Jesus' incarnation was, it was witnessing to the Father. It was witnessing who the Father is. Making God, Yahweh, known in a land that had lost touch with who he was and it had false notions about him. What if that's part of being made in the image of God? What if that's part of our thing? Now, okay, granted, Paul's an apostle, but let me see if what Jesus seems to read for some of us isn't pretty close to what we see there in Paul. John 17, 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, 
that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in unity, perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. What if being an image bearer is being an image bearer of the good news of God's love and forgiveness? I think we have to yield to the reality that that's true. I don't think we can answer this question adequately by trying to dissect our body, soul, and spirit. I'm not against that teaching, but I don't, I, I think that falls short. I think there's, What's the guy's name? The missionary guy in Mexico? Really bold guy? Oh, darn. Huh? No. He's the one that, that uh, walked into this uh, peasant woman's cabin. Her husband was really sick. I uh, entered her shack, and she said, Oh, if only God were here, my husband would get up and walk. And he said, It's your lucky day. <laughs> Uh, I'll remember his name. He's a buddy of Moeller. Uh, I honestly believe this, and I'm going to say it about myself. I believe that in spite of my very best efforts and the very best position I could put my heart in, I have underestimated who I am and who we are and what God wants to do through us. And I don't think we need to start with the list of what God wants to do. I think we need to start realizing what is it, Lord, that you can do through me? Well, I can do anything through you because I made you in my image. And the one guy that walked around demonstrating what could be done by an image bearer was Jesus. And we set him apart as something more unique than God wants us to think about him as. He came to reveal the Father, and he came to reveal who you and I were. And I think if we'll change our thoughts about this idea of image bearer, and if I were to go back to that first little slide, so now the world is open to redemption. It's open to the message of the gospel. But it needs to be delivered by people who don't just have information, but by people who can listen and hear and do and, and, and be okay if God says, why are you crying out to me? You tell the people to go forward. And then stick your hand out and divide the water. Are you guys okay if we don't know how to do that and we fail a few times? Yeah. <laughs> or how about if we, you know, this might even be more dangerous. How about if we succeed once? And then we end up like Abraham did, lying about his wife, <laughs> you know, whatever. Moses did actually getting the people out, and his wife's got to circumcise his, his kid just to keep the wrath of God from falling. I mean, you know, hey, it's messy. I can understand why. But it's not worth avoiding the mess by avoiding the call. 
So I, I just, uh, I'm open for whatever. We got a little bit of time where we could, well, shoot to worship whenever you want. But does anybody have any? I mean, I hate fishing, but is there any, even an amen to this? <laughs> I, I mean, do you think this is barking up the right tree? Yeah. Right course. There I go. Yeah. Uh, an amen to that. I always like it when the word is cohesive in a way I didn't expect. You use the example from Exodus where God said, why are you calling out to me? And he says to Moses, go through Aaron, and then this is what's going to happen. And your, the scripture you've got here, um, so, but also to the things which I will appear to you. Now, what's the purpose? To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. From the dominion of Satan from God. Yeah. Yes. So from darkness to light is the root cause, and then these other things happen after that. Free from the dominion of Satan, they may receive the forgiveness of sins. It works so well with the scripture you have in Exodus, because I was just looking it up while you were talking. The name Aaron means light bringer. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Janet. I just have to say that this has empowered me. Like feeling, yes, I can do anything, you know, or I can partner with God. So it has thank me you. too. It has me too. Yeah. And, and, and I, I have a pathetically small testimony about it today, but I'll share it in just a second, Tim. Now, I'm really glad that you brought up the, the last couple slides because I wasn't relating so much to the, the first and the second. Mm -hmm. uh, the image of God, well, maybe a little bit closer for me with the white hair and beard. But I was thinking more of the likeness of God that I can relate to. Yeah. You know, it's our witness and our testimony, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where we are, and there was it, definitely a progress in the revelation too, because yeah. we could we've we've had runs in the church where we tried to rule. We, I mean, honestly, if we were tempted, if somebody said, "Hey, uh, if you do this, that, and the other, you can rule now," we'd probably yeah. take them up on it. But I don't know that that would fully embrace the image bearing. Yeah. But it's 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 when the rule turns into into faith when the faith is right. then it passed on to people and it turns into the ability yeah. to love it's, it's a progression yeah. I, I like that we're that you're even teaching about this and we're discussing it because it gives us something to to work towards i think so yeah. i think so yeah thanks I think so that's awesome and uh cool yeah <clears throat> How does, does this go along with what Jesus said? I only do what I see the Father doing. I think that he was demonstrating how image bearers live. How did how did the original image bearers go wrong? They they looked and thought, "Oh, this this looks good. Probably tastes good. Seems good to be wise." They weren't listening to the word that was spoken, and uh, and e even if you go back, Richard. Moses did that. You know, God was gracious and said, hey, do this. And he did. Do this and he did. Abraham, same situation. Come out, look up, you know, see this. So yeah, I think that's, I, th I think that is how we ought to live. And I think one reason we don't is we place more value on doing the supernatural thing and getting the result than we do in getting up in the morning and positioning ourselves before God and saying, Lord, here I am. I'm bearing your image. Uh, I'm all dressed up with no place to go. What do you want to do? <laughs> Let's go somewhere. 
Yeah, it's being active. Going back to the faith idea, um, I think sometimes traditionally I'll, we think of faith as waiting upon the Lord. I'm just, if I have a lot of faith, I'm sitting here waiting for something to happen. And there's truth to that, and there's a time for that. But much of what we're seeing here is faith is God saying, start exercising what I've already deposited into you. Like when he says, stop your whining, raise your thing. He's basically saying, I've already empowered you. Right. Go do this. And he was appealing back to those things that went on with him and Aaron and all the other miracles. So that probably helped overcome the, that doesn't sound like an answer to my prayer. Yeah. And I think probably the big difference is, as you're asking is, I, I need to listen to the father to know when do I, passively wait on the Lord and when do I mm-hmm. bring out my stick and start <laughs> whacking the water or something. And if you know that you're an image bearer and, and you know that you're if you know you're loved, if you know you're not competing for favor right. by doing something versus being right. maybe it'd be easier. And, and I think there's also a tendency in us to um, often uh to be too concerned that we might make a mistake. And so then we don't do anything. Right. And it goes back to that story of the 10 talents, the five talents, yeah. the one, the one guy at the one's like, I thought you would be mad at me if I did it wrong. Yeah. And the God's just like, cool. You did stuff. You'd got it right. Way to go. So let me show you something. This is a show and tell moment. Okay. Let's, I'm, this is slightly off, but that's the new Testament. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament would be as skinny as the New Testament if everybody's screw-ups were taken out. <laughs> They're there for a reason. And I think it's because, because do you think David was an image bearer? Of course he was. Man after God's own heart. Was Abraham one? Obviously, he was called a friend. Was Moses one? Yes, he was a deliverer of Israel. All these, all these guys, uh, and, and you can go into the gals, Deborah and Ruth and all these people, they all manifest the very characteristics of God, and they all almost messed up. We don't need to be afraid. It's the enemy. That's one of the lies of the enemy that keeps us from obeying and manifesting, I think. So we got to try. 